I feel like when you and I first met, it helped <laughs> me understand a certain thing about depression years later, which is to say you and I met in Los Angeles out at a show. Yeah. We, we, we Our sensibilities meshed. This is totally. probably 15 years ago. And you were like, let's stay in touch. And I was like, great, let's stay in touch. And then I tried to get in touch with you and you didn't get back to me. And I was just like, oh, I guess like, I mean, in my mind, I literally thought like, I guess Gary's just like a real operator. Like he's wow. on to the next operation. No. But it's an assumption. I remember thinking, even if I call him back, he was just trying to be nice. Oh and and what have I got that a young burgeoning comedian in his prime will will feel like I was so insecure about my place in in comedy and and it it's just it's completely unfounded but it's depressive thinking that is the voice of the great Gary Goldman Gary Goldman is back for round two on working it out one of my favorite comics on the planet uh, he has a new book out called Misfit, which I love. Everyone on the Working It Out staff loved. We talk about it a lot today. You can get it at your local bookstore. Uh, Before we dive into it with Gary, our returning champion, I should point out that I have another week and a half in London. I'm at the Wyndham's Theater uh, doing The Old Man in the Pool. It is the finale of The Old Man in the Pool. If you know any British people, tell them about The Old Man in the Pool uh, in London. And then uh, I'm announcing in October, I'm announcing several club dates in, in cities that I have not announced yet. The only way to find out, to be the first to know because you sell out fast, is to sign up for the mailing list on burbigs.com. If you go to tour dates at the bottom, it says sign up for the mailing list. You will be the first to know about some like club dates where I'm working out new material for my tour, which goes to Boston. We just added a seventh and eighth show at the Wilba Theater. We're calling those shows Christmas Parmesan. Uh, And then uh, the new show I'm currently calling Please Stop the Ride is going to Vancouver. It's going to Seattle. It's going to Walla Walla. It's going to Portland, Oregon. Um, All of this, uh, you find out joining the mailing list, unburbigs.com. But I love this chat we have with Gary today. It's, um, we talk about the state of our friendship. It actually reminds me a bit of of the Tom Papa episode, and that we get, we just get really frank about how we've known each other for you know, 15, 20 years, uh, the feeling of loneliness. He, Gary talks very openly in his HBO special, The Great Depression, which I highly recommend, about depression. And uh, and it it has some really emotional turns in, the, in this episode. I should point out that if you wanna see Gary live, He's in San Francisco, Seattle, Portland, Charleston, Asheville, uh, all of it on GaryGullman.com. Also, this entire episode is on YouTube. Um, We've had a ton of fun filming these and putting the entire episode on YouTube. And thanks so much for visiting there and subscribing to our YouTube channel. Uh, but I love this chat with Gary. We work out some jokes. We some very it gets very real, gets very emotional, uh, and it gets very jokey. It's very funny, very funny episode. Enjoy my conversation with the great Gary Goldman. auditioned for an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm. Oh, wow. And Larry David said, you're from Boston. Why don't you have a Boston accent? I said, well, when I got to college, the kids would make fun of me. And he said, why don't you just make fun of them? Oh, my God. I love that. <laughs> That's amazing. Like, yeah, because I'm not... such a Larry Because I'm not you, Larry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I haven't... Yeah. I, I couldn't be myself like that at I that love point. That. Yeah. Why don't you make was, fun of them? Yeah. I love exactly. that. Exactly. Immediately. And he didn't even have to think about it. And He's I had never so even quick. I had never even thought about right. making Why fun of them. Why don't you turn it the yes. other way? <laughs> yes. Right. And had never considered it. That's really interesting because I will say that like one of the things that bullies would make fun of me for growing up would be that I was a, a, a nerd, sort of a bookworm. And in hindsight, when I would go back at them and say, you're not smart, <laughs> it wouldn't go well. That's because so it's interesting. somehow more mean-spirited yeah. to say you're not smart than to say you're a nerd. Yeah. That feels like an unspoken truth. 
Remember that movie, Broadcast News? One of my favorites of when all time. When they show Albert Brooks as a kid, yeah, telling yeah, yeah. those kids they'll never earn more than $16,000 a year. And the guy goes, 16,000, sounds pretty good. <laughs> I mean, that is a brilliant- it's a brilliant scene. I, I always look at Broadcast News when people ask me to describe my shows, I say, I aspire to make my shows like the movie Broadcast News, which is to say, it's funny, in a way where you see yourself in it, yeah. but ultimately there's a larger story yeah. being told. Yes, that, that mix of heaviness and, and the, the, the gut punch that you do so well and, and very few others, especially comedians are able to do that because it requires a, a, some vulnerability and also confidence to not be making jokes the entire time. Well, it's funny because the, your book does that and your special, The Great Depression does that. And it's like, my curiosity is, I know why I do what I do. Why do you do it? Why are you willing to give yourself to your audience like that? I mean, part of it is that I experimented with it and it worked really well. <laughs> yeah, in yeah, that, like anything, that, right? Yeah, and in that I started to open up about depression and the more open and the more specific I got, the more when I did my meet and greets where people opening up to me and, yeah. and saying really thoughtful, kind things and being grateful for which I was grateful in it. And, and so I was rewarded almost immediately. And also I, I, I like talking about this with, with you, just the, the general mindset of, of comedians. But when we first start out, we're trying to get laughs, absolutely. Yeah. And once we can do that, we want the other comedians to think we're good at this <laughs> and, to, and to not, and we, we talked about this. We said, it's not, they say it's, it's not show friends, it's show business, but it's, it's show friends. Yeah, yeah. And you're going, to get, <laughs> you're going to get more work if people think you're good at- <coughs> oh My gosh, I'm laughing so yeah, hard. Yeah, if people think you're good at this. So why not do jokes that not just the audience are laughing at, but your comedian friends are like, you know what? It may be hard to follow somebody who's killing, but it's better to follow somebody who's doing it in a in a way that seems seems fair. I remember this comedian Frank Santarelli saying he had this whole list of things that little tricks you could do on stage, but if you did them, you couldn't you couldn't come off the stage and say, "Oh, I killed," because yeah. you did the, the the big one in in the in the '90s when I first started was it was a. Um, a stereotypically gay lispy voice, mm. and it would kill with the right, audiences right. if you did that. But my my friend Frank said, "You can't say you killed if you did that. It's such a cheap trick." Smart. And yeah, yeah. If you're doing so if you're helpful. doing a trope, yes. it doesn't belong to you. Right. I I said to somebody recently, a younger comic, who was doing like a kid voice from when they were kid. Don't don't do a kid voice. No. Don't do a kid voice. Yeah. Do you, do you, do you when you were a yes. kid and then they yeah. didn't and it was a, it was a yeah. great adjustment. Because it's specific. It's specific. Yeah. It's funny though, like your persona, and I feel like this is offstage too, is like, you have like a confidence of like, you're really good at this. <laughs> you know what I mean? And you sometimes tell the audience, you're like, I'm very good at this. Uh, oh, you know, I mean, it's insecurity. That that's oh, you think so? Yeah, that's the source of of that it, it, braggadocio and bravado. But you're so. Any, but any, it's very funny the way you do it. It's, well, it's, it works it's, really it's well. It's funny because it disrupts the status quo of of comedians being self deprecating. Right. Yeah. So they're they're not used to that, and also it's at at the point we are in our careers. It's also true. We There's know some what, truth. Yeah, there. we know what the heck we're doing, and. Also, everybody is usually a little bit concerned at the beginning of a show with a comedian that they're not that familiar with, that the person is going to be uncomfortable or make them uncomfortable. I certainly feel that whenever I watch a comedy show at all. Yeah. I'm concerned for totally. the comedian every time. Totally, totally. It is so, so anxiety-provoking. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting, like- do And you, also setting myself at ease. And setting yourself at ease. Yeah. Do you think of there being a hierarchy? Do you think- I'm the best. Or do you think <laughs> I'm top 10? I, I'm top 20. I think after a cup of coffee, <laughs> I would say <laughs> there's a hundred people as good as me. Yeah. And I can't name that many who are like better where I would be. There are certain people who I watch and I think like I, I Sade and I, my wife went to see Maria Bamford a couple oh, of weeks ago at best. Sony Hall. And 
most of us, you watch their act and you say, oh, I see how they got there. And that's a really good, yeah. that's a really good sentence. And I watch her and I think this is all inspired. And, yeah. and I don't, I don't know how she comes up with this. The, vo- the voice, it's magical and it's sublime and, and I'm in awe. So I, I think I, I'm, I think I'm excellent, but there are people who are better than me. And there are people who are better than me who haven't done it. There's so much luck and timing involved. And there's this, and I think we've discussed this, but Kurt Vonnegut's idea of, of he had he had survivor's guilt after surviving World War II. And yeah. then he said as a novelist, he had survivor's guilt because he thought a lot of audiences have failed artists, painters, Certainly. writers, actors, and he said comedians, which I thought was very generous. Yeah. And and that's how I feel at this point. We we can yeah. we can name a dozen comedians who we'd say, oh my gosh, this guy is so hilarious yes. and, and should be a household name. I think Eddie Pepitone is very well known, but he should be as well known as fill in the blank of yeah. person who's selling out arenas. I can cut this out if you don't say it publicly because I forget whether or not you have, I've seen you do this live, but I don't know if you've done anything. But you'll make jokes at the expense of like well-known people like Chappelle or Seinfeld. Oh, sure, yeah. Do you do that yeah. publicly or do you just do that in clubs? I I mean, I, I mention it in theater shows. I mean, the thing is, is that Chappelle talks about how sensitive audiences are. <laughs> and I point out that he's actually very a very sensitive guy, just like all, all comedians. Certainly. And then the thing with Jerry Seinfeld is that I... I feel betrayed because I was such a fan, and I and I I bought sign language. Yeah, and and I remember reading it and being outraged. I said, "This is just his act." Oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So yeah. I felt I felt taken. I get that. Yeah. <laughs> Have you ever talked to Seinfeld though? Because no, I've never talked to him. I never, I've never talked met to him. him. I've never been in. I I was at a party where he was across the way, and I I um I didn't think it was. My place to introduce myself, and nobody introduced me. But, but I, I do, I do make jokes but at his expense. With Chappelle, you yeah. do the, you do the oh, knee yeah, I don't slapping like it when thing. He, I don't like it when he slaps the his the thigh microphone against the microphone. his thigh. Yeah. yeah, it's funny. Like I, <laughs> I don't know about you. I field a lot of criticisms of Ricky Gervais, Jerry Seinfeld, Dave Chappelle, these moguls of comedy. Yeah, who have said things that people don't like over the years, and I always just play Switzerland with it. I just go, you know, there's all kinds of comedy and I yeah, like yeah, all yeah. kinds of comedy. Yeah. But I never See, I don't care for Switzerland. <laughs> I think there, of all the times not to maintain neutrality. And don't they say if sometimes not taking a side is is taking a side? Who says that? <laughs> and this is actually a bit I was working on, but Toblerone had a picture of the Swiss Alps on the side of their box and Switzerland sued them to take the Swiss Alps off their box. And I remember thinking, yeah, the Holocaust, they're not gonna take a side, but the Toblerone oh, that's a great joke. using the thing, I, I could never get it worded right. That's so and I funny. Continued, I continue to try. Almost every time keep I go the on act. stage, yeah, keep in the act. Yeah, I mean, that's keep a great it in the act line. Just so somebody else doesn't take it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Here's our red line, chocolate. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. so funny. Thank you, thank you. Here's my red that's line, perfect. it's chocolate. Chocolate. <laughs> it's cubic chocolate. <laughs> but also, I I just, it'll turn into something that's also about Toblerone. I, I, once I have, right. a, once I have right. a sentence that works, I'm 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 hoarding anything associated with that thing. So I'll I'll do something on the shape of it and yes. and the size of the boxes and the duty yeah. free. Yeah, yeah, no, like you certainly. need more luggage just yeah, to yeah, take yeah. the duty free size Toblerone or or something funnier. Yeah, I think that that's a very funny joke. But yeah, I had a journey with I I was early in my career. I was very critical of a couple of comedians, Jay Leno. And Rob, because Robin feel, Williams. Because we feel betrayed because we love them and then they don't come through for us. I think that's, there's some truth yeah. to that. So like with Jay Leno, I used to do a joke on stage where I said, uh, I like to tune into Jay Leno because I, I like to hear the jokes that I thought of too. Oh, that's so good. And, and it's funny, wow. but at a certain point, a comedian said to me like, you know, he is one of us. Right. No, so that's I, a great point. And I was like, that's fair. That's a great point. And so I stopped doing it. I used to make a joke about Robin Williams, 
because he's known as a joke thief oh. and, and and he sold jokes and he talked about it on Mark Marin years ago and okay yeah yeah and yeah. and it was uh it was a thing where he explained that like his the way his brain works is whatever he had to stop watching comedians at right, a certain point because right. everything goes yeah. in and then he flies right. up on stage and he freewheels and it comes out whatever comes out comes out i remember hearing and that i yeah. just remember doing a show with robin williams for the troops for wounded soldiers oh, wow. wounded warrior project and he talked to every soldier and these guys yeah. really he was a beautiful broken person. up battered yeah. guy, folks and he would be the robin williams <laughs> that they would dream of meeting to every single one of them. And I go, and I, and it was such a reckoning for me because I'm like, I'm for that. Yeah. And I don't even care if you steal jokes. No, I know. Like I whatever know. you're doing, I'm I know. for it. No, totally. And I became a complete convert on Robin Williams. Yeah. And, and I actually don't really, truthfully, I don't even really criticize any comic. No, I, I have a joke that. about Larry the Cable Guy years ago, but it's not even really that mean. It's just about having a catchphrase. Yeah. I, I think what I feel comfortable talking about Seinfeld with is the difference in his lifestyle and my lifestyle and that he has a building where he houses this Porsche collection <laughs> and I literally don't have enough room on my kitchen counter to keep the toaster on display at oh, all times. Oh my gosh. We have to stow oh my gosh. the toaster. So that's, that's a joke for my, my well, last Well, he should be special. contributing to the Gullman Fund. <laughs> the human fund. <laughs> So good. I gave to the Gullman Fund earlier this month. I mean, <laughs> I tried to do a monthly. <clears throat> I was just getting so many phone calls from those guys. At a certain point, I just, I just right. put, put me down for a, a quarterly. But I, I think what I said was that we're in the same business. He's worth a billion dollars and he's better than me. But is he $999,911,000 oh better than oh me? That was the, yeah. Oh, Gary. <laughs> That's which, so which funny. I feel and it, is the most vulnerable I've ever been on stage, announcing your net worth right. to a group of New Yorkers yeah. is, I was naked up there. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Thrive Market which is an online grocery store that specializes in healthy, organic, sustainable products. You go to thrivemarket.com, you take a quiz. Quizzes are fun, right? How about a quiz that helps you eat healthier? You answer a few questions about the way you shop for groceries, and then you got a whole customized selection of items. It's tailored specifically to your lifestyle, your favorite foods, your dietary preferences, all that kind of stuff. Uh, here at the office, it's our go-to for all of our grocery and household essentials. When you join Thrive Market, you are helping a family in need with their one-for-one -one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash perbigs for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash perbigs. Thrivemarket.com slash perbigs. Support for Working It Out comes from Allbirds. You know I love Allbirds. My character on Billions wears Allbirds. The Mike Birbiglia character in my last two Broadway shows and specials, Where's Allbirds? I, in my real life, walking around Brooklyn, wear Allbirds. Warmer temps mean super light styles. This is a new thing for them. Meet the super light collection. Allbirds' lightest ever shoes, now in fresh colors. A lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit makes these some of the most packable styles ever I love these shoes. I just throw them in my backpack. My wife makes fun of me. Jenny makes fun of me because I essentially pack nothing for trips. I go one backpack. Allbirds make the cut. Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit allbirds.com and use code WIO. That's for working it out. WIO for a free pair of socks with a purchase of 48 bucks or more. That's allbirds.com. A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com. Code WIO. That's for working it out. Oh, 
Okay, so you say in your book that you wrote this book uh, in grade school called The Lonely Train. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, uh, I have it. I still have it. I'm gonna I'm gonna post some pictures of it. Did anyone flag that? Nobody in your life not as only, a metaphor for the mental state that you were experiencing. Nobody flagged it. This was a a tree that was being teased by the woodland creatures and cried so much that he grew to be really tall. And I was always the tallest kid in my According to your class. book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so I... <laughs> a tree it, was being teased. Yeah, I brought it home. And of course, I didn't know that it was a cry for help, but my father loved it so much that he brought it to, and you may remember the name of this company. It was called Addison Wesley. And it was a publishing company that was on Route 128 oh in, yeah. in Reading. You could see it from the highway. And it turns out they they published textbooks. Yeah. So he brought it to them. I don't know who he brought it to. Maybe, yeah. maybe just a secretary or something. And they said, well, we published textbooks, but this is a very, a very nice book. They were very kind to my dad. But wow. my dad didn't read anything into it. My mother didn't. It's interesting. Like I was working, I was working on this joke recently about how my wife Jenny said to me, she goes, sometimes I feel like you're not happy. And I'm like, right. Like <laughs> that was really, always the, that was man, the that's, some, that's some simple truth right yeah, there, yeah. which is like the greatest formula. Yeah. It's right. Like, the simple truth. I don't mean in a disparaging way no. formula, but the simple truth is killer. I mean it's that's excellent. Right. And I go, yeah, we I was I wasn't happy when we met. I thought that's what you were into. <laughs> And then we got married and I was like, this is amazing. And yeah. I'm still not happy. And then yeah, we have happiness our daughter is a and spectrum. it's transcendent. Yeah, but I'm still not happy. No, I'm, I'm saying happiness is a spectrum and I'm on the in the best the, um, angle of this spectrum right now, but but I'm, I'm not 100% happy all the time. And, and, I'm, 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 and we discussed this the last time we were together. The worry, the big worry is that this thing will cease or or be curbed somehow this which this, thing which thing just where i am in my career if, yeah. if we had this exchange where i said if i could trade any future improvement in my lifestyle and my my career and all i had to give up was that improvement and i could have exactly what i have now which is a, a nice touring act and i'm i'm comfortable in terms of paying my bills, I would trade any upside for what I have now. Uh, and a thousand percent yeah. agree. And I could not agree with you more. Yes. And and I think so my only worry is that something would come along where where like when the when the pandemic hit, I thought, oh man, this this could really be difficult to tour in the future if they don't find a solution for this. Yes. And and so but I have to play the percentages with that as well and say, well, there'll always be something, maybe a book or or maybe making albums. We'll figure it out. That That is one thing that I learned from writing this book is that there were all these horrible things that happened to me throughout my life. Yeah. And I figured it out each time. And I keep forgetting that, that things that seemed daunting or impossible from tying my shoes to dunking a basketball, I've I've figured it out. Yeah. And and to remind yourself of that when something new comes up, something you're afraid of is is a really helpful strategy. So that's a that's a point that you make in your book and I'm curious, is there anything right now in your life that feels daunting? Wow. It's a great question and my wife and I have been doing the things involved in freezing embryos mm -hmm. and so you know what this is like. Yeah. Can I be a good dad? Yeah, yeah. Will I live long enough to be a good yeah. dad? Because I'm older for having a having a child, and it's and it's also around the same age my dad had me, and he 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 was not as involved because my parents were divorced. But I I just because one of the things you can regret not having a great comedy career, not giving it your all as a comedian. Yeah. But it would be hard for me with my mindset to be able to live with regrets of not doing a good job as a as a father or husband and and I think this is a a really interesting question for you which is 
I feel, I said this to Sade, I said, we've been playing marriage at the easiest level <laughs> and you add a kid and it, and it increases the, the level of difficulty, the degree of difficulty. And, yeah. and we're doing really well on this. We're killing it. Yeah. We're very happy people. Yeah. But what happens when you involve someone that's also going to reduce your amount of sleep and put you in a sleep deprived mood yes. frequently? That's a, that's a different version of us. That's like the, what, what was your joke about the, the version of Mike that it was one drink, Mike, or two drink, Mike. Two drink, Mike. That's our yeah, first comedy right? album. Yeah, yeah. So two drink, Mike loves dancing. He knows the yes, magic yes, trick. Yeah, yes. Zero, and, yeah, zero drink, Mike enjoys biographies yeah. and something so and something. So sleep deprived yeah, Dan yeah. and Charday are not the are not the same person. And, and you're right. And you're right. And what I'll say uh, in defense of uh, becoming dad is your aperture really opens in this way mine has, I should say, in this way that you just, you, you know, I, I say the cliche in, in my special, the new one, you see, you know, people say, you're going to see the world through baby's eyes. And oh, it's right, like, right, right, and right. And then you yeah. do. Yeah. And then you do. Yeah. And you, and you go, oh man, the cliche is true. Yeah. Yeah. And there should be another word besides cliche because there's so much negative baggage in terms of cliches, right. but some of them are really true. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like the Dalai Lama gets away with a lot of cliches. <laughs> um, no, but oh, I, 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 but I got served. In, speaking of depression and unhappiness, I got served a video on TikTok where it was a it was a clinician who was describing the difference between being unhappy and being depressed. Uh -huh. And the way he was putting it, and I'm simplifying this, but it's like he was describing depression as the experience of almost like sand coming through a funnel, but it's too much sand. Okay. And so in other words, there's too many things mm. to handle and there's just a stoppage. And that's why people can't leave their house, can't get out of bed, just because there's a stoppage. And unhappiness, the way he was describing it uh, in relation to uh, feeling like uh, discontent with things as they are okay. in, in your life. And when I heard that, I just thought, yeah, bo both, <laughs> both, right? And then I was like, but then also, Aren't we all a little of both? Yeah. And we're not all clinically depressed. Right. I think this reminds me of something. I just read this recently and I must've been reading it recently again because I remember reading this book a long time ago while David Foster Wallace was alive, but it's called The Brief Interviews with Hideous Men. Yeah. And it's a group of short stories, a collection of short stories. And there's one called The Depressed Person. And it's, it's extraordinary. And one of the things is, I don't know what this is called grammatically, but it doesn't say they in terms of the depressed person. He says the depressed person okay. in every sentence that yeah. the depressed person comes up. So he says the depressed person, and the whole, one of the main things the depressed person and the, this depressed person had a lot of things going on. But one of the main things, and and I was trying to get this across in the Great Depression, and when I read William Styron's Darkness Visible, which is a great account of a depression, they talk about the limitations. Styron in particular talks about the limitations of the English language in terms of describing what a depression mm -hmm. is and that the word depression is so small for what this is. And it also happens to intersect with the idea of I'm depressed because the Celtics lost in, right. the, in the Eastern Conference Finals, okay? So there's that, but also there's this frustration that in the depressed person, the depressed person talks about being so frustrated maddeningly in the British sense of the term maddeningly, like, like insanity, the frustration involved in not being able to describe to people who are not depressed, yeah. who do not have clinical depression, what that feels like. Yeah. And it's so many things and it is, and that is a really difficult thing unless you're a professional or you've, or you've experienced it, it is so hard to describe. So you can give symptoms and you can yeah. give, and you can give stories of how little you accomplished or how difficult something was, but it's so hard to describe. And I, and I think that that really hit me to the point where I, where I 
where I'm feeling great, but I welled up and cried when, mm. when he was talking about this because I've been there and I've been the depressed person. Yeah. And, and it was just, it, it really, and also you're reading it years after David Foster Wallace committed suicide. Yeah. So it's obvious that, that he understood it like, like very few have, but also had this ability to d describe it in, in great detail. I feel like when you and I first met, it helped me understand a certain thing about it years later, which is to say you and I met in Los Angeles out at a show. Yeah. We, we, we Our sensibilities mesh. This is totally. probably 15 years ago. And you were like, let's stay in touch. And I was like, great, let's stay in touch. And then I tried to get in touch with you and you didn't get back to me. And I was just like, oh, I guess like, I mean, in my mind, I literally thought like, I guess Gary's just like a real operator. Like he's wow. on to the next operation. No. But it's an assumption. Yeah. And years later, I find out you had these bouts of depression where you couldn't get out of bed, you couldn't leave your apartment. So, yeah. so much going on. And it taught yeah. me this wider lesson, which is you cannot know what someone is experiencing. So, it's so unfair <laughs> to assume what their experience is of that. No, it was a huge lesson for me. No, it 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 is really a good thing to learn, and I could I could probably apply it to my criticism of of famous comedians. But I think, and and one aspect that I don't think we covered, and and maybe you hadn't said that you thought our sensibilities matched. I remember thinking, even if I call him back, he was just trying to be nice, and and. What have I got that a young burgeoning comedian in this prime will will feel like I was so insecure about my place in in comedy and and it and it's possible that you thought I was a really good comedian and and wanted to be um, friends besides that and here's the other thing would it have been so bad if I was a terrible comedian and you still wanted to be friends yeah. like that's the whole thing that I couldn't imagine anybody liking me other than that I was a really good comedian and if I'm not a really good comedian then they wouldn't want to spend what value any would I have yeah, what anyway value would I have and it's just so it's 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 sad and and yet it seemed so reasonable and and was going on in my mind with with just about everyone so there were people in addition to you that I was I wouldn't say I was dodging them I would just not get back to them and then start to feel so guilty about not getting back to them and they'll think that I'm a, a jerk when I do get back to them and and there's also this thing of being afraid that somebody will tell me off oh yeah when I, if Why? I do, if I do get back to them like who do you think you are are that you can just take your time and getting back to me. And I called you two weeks ago and it's just, it's just, it's completely unfounded, but it's depressive thinking. Yeah. What, when you were in the depths of your depression, what would a good friend, what could a good friend have done? Because Let's, I have a lot of friends who yeah. have substance abuse issues, sure. depression. And a lot of times I'm at a loss for what I can do to be helpful. I remember one of the nicest thing, and again, this is this is a name dropping, but and I don't know how she knew how sick I was, but Amy Schumer called me, said, "Let's go for a walk." We walked through the Central Park on our way to an appointment, and it was it was long walks with people that would get me out of my head, or or in in some cases, just watching a movie silently with with a friend going to the movies, just wow. getting me out of the house was so helpful. And wow. and I'd go home and 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 I I would frequently say late at night, if I felt like this, I would have a life. Yeah. And then in the morning it it resets. It's called diurnal variation where you feel a little bit better at the end of the day, especially if you've gotten out of the house. So I used to go to a, a mood disorder support group at at it was on the campus of Columbia University and there were a lot of trains to to switch and buses and as arduous as it was, it was really helpful to get me moving. So just, and then I'd be with people who understood what I was talking about and, and I remained friends with a few people from there and one of them was telling me, he said, you would just sit there and listen and it was heartbreaking. And, and I wanted to- At the support to, group. Yeah, and I wanted to say, 
that was the best part of my day. That was, I was, <sighs> if I was there, I was really succeeding in, in fighting back. And it, right. was, it was immensely helpful. Wow. Where, uh, I don't even want to go down that rabbit hole. I was going to. Uh, uh, no, I'm uh, open to rabbit holes. Well, it's like, I've struggled with this thing in the last few years where I've had depressed friends who just drop out. Yeah. I've tried to be helpful. And then at a certain point, they're just gone. Oh. And so then you just go like, well, where's the line? Right. Where's the line between, no, actually, this person might be a bad friend. <laughs> right? Oh, that's interesting. And it's a rabbit hole. I don't know. I don't know that there is an answer to that. No, that's a, that's a great point. I, I mean, recently I've taken a look at my friendships and done a little Marie Kondo decluttering yeah. and, and found, well, this person hardly ever initiates. I have to set up every yeah. meal. I'm going to let them do it. And yeah. in some cases they do. And in some cases they don't. And, and I just think, and my therapist was really good at this. He says, you can still have them in your life, but you do not have to expect anything more than what you're getting and yeah. know what you're in when you go into it. Yeah. And know that if you meet up with so-and-so, they're only gonna talk about their their job and yeah. you're not gonna get a word in edgewise. And if you wanna do that, that's fine, but know that you're making that that choice. And I, and I thought that was really helpful. That's fascinating. What do you, what, well, <laughs> this is kind of, I've never asked this question before on the show, but when Tom Papa was on, we had kind of a come to Jesus about our friendship and it was actually really, helpful in like a real life way. Where do you, what is our relationship? Are we friends or are we work friends? Oh, I think my feeling is always that this is a, a really busy guy and, and I'll bet you that he wouldn't be able to fit me in. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah, so I don't, like, because there are a lot of things that I will think, oh, I bet you Mike would think this is funny. And I'm just like, oh, don't be the guy who's sending, because we all have friends who send us things. And, and we're just like, I don't, have, I don't have time for this. Because if you, if some friends, if they send you something and you react, then your next hour, is yeah. is in getting yes. text back and, yes. and forth. And I just, especially Atta while writing a book, right. you don't have time for that. Right, attachments yeah. to links, the, yes. the things you don't have a login for. <laughs> I I feel like It's like, sometimes, you know what? I don't have a Wall Street Journal subscription. I don't think I'm gonna have one. Yeah, I don't know that Kafka meant this when he wrote everything he wrote, but there is something about the Wall Street Journal paywall yeah, yeah. That, I think, that I think he would have related to. I think so too. And I think, so that's a fascinating, <laughs> well, let me just say here on the record, this line is open. I always want to hear from you. Okay, good. Um, oh, that's really I'm nice always to hear. happy to hear from you. Um, I don't know. It's, I, it's interesting because you and I have now known each other for so long. Yeah. And I feel like we're in a unique position in our friendship where we could actually theoretically point out things about each other that we could try in our act that maybe we don't even realize about ourselves. maybe is funny. Oh, that's really interesting. It's, it's funny because very few friends ask each other what level of friendship they are. Yep. And, and that's, I, I, I won't lie. It's, it's not a comfortable position to be asked that, that no. question. It's, it, it, it's very vulnerable to ask that question. And also on the other end, it's, it's almost, I have to give an account of what happens with us when we're not in the same room, because we were on that, that documentary yeah, we together. Yeah, we did a documentary together. And, and I was so grateful that you were there because I didn't know anybody as well as I knew you. And, and it just was, it was a, a great life raft and we had so many great laughs and then you were gone. And, and it reminds me of when I graduated from college, I had this close friend all through second semester, senior year. His roommate had 
gotten a girlfriend. So he was very lonely, I think. And I had just broken up with a girlfriend. So I was very lonely and we connected and then school stopped. And, and I remember thinking, well, unless he reaches out, I'll probably never see that guy again. Yeah. And, and he reached out and we spent the next, it's now coming up on 35 years, wow. talking on a every other day, weekly basis. Wow. And, and I could see a scenario where that friendship never took because I was afraid that he would be put off by me reaching out right away after. And he called me like the first day of summer vacation. It, it was just, I, I'm... Ah, it's an insecurity that I should have put uh, put behind me 35 years ago with that piece of evidence, what I would have lost out on, one of my, one of my closest friends. I'm going to have to call you tomorrow. <laughs> so this is called the slow round, and we did this last time you were on the show. And one of the reasons that we were in a rush to do this again is that the first episode that you were on, and people should go back and listen to it, is one of our most popular episodes of all time. Oh, really? We've re-aired and, and in it, we had the slow round and you said, oh, you should get Anne Lamott's book, Bird by Bird, yeah. which I do have. And I recommend all the time. I followed her on Instagram. She did not follow me back. Oh, isn't I, that heartbreaking? Killed me. Anne Lamott, come on. Come on. I, I, talk, I talk you up. I plug your book all the time. Are you, yeah. are you just so massive? <laughs> I know. But anyway, there's a there's a thing that, oh, that so we now mention from Bird by Bird as a writing prompt often, and I'll ask you, which is, do you have a school lunch that you remember from your childhood? Oh, wow. I do remember that one day my mom sent me with a full Italian sub to school nice. from, a, from a sub shop. And because I was used to her always... Putting, you had me at Italian sub. Yeah, putting a sometimes just a jelly sandwich, sometimes just a jelly and fluff sandwich. Yeah. If we were out of peanut butter, yeah, I without looking into my bag traded it for a marshmallow fluff, which is peanut butter and fluff, mar, yeah. uh, marshmallow fluff, yeah. fluffanata, yeah, fluffanata from Boston, and and I got a fluffanata, and I traded this kid unopened my bag, which I thought was just at best a peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, you had a restaurant quality yeah, lunch. Yeah, yeah. And this I had a guy, restaurant quality. This and then I told my junk. mother that night and she was she was outraged. That's fascinating. And, and the, the great thing with my mother, as I point out in the book, is that she can never let anything go. The, the statute of limitations with her, she still asks me if I ever use the Nintendo that I, <laughs> my gosh. That I begged for. When I was in high school, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Wow. What's the best and worst nickname you've ever received in your life? In college, there was a football player and he was really good, man. His name was John Stolberg, but not Jewish, as you'll see in this, in what he nicknamed me. And I almost thought it was sort of like Bethos because he was not a bright guy, but he came up with the perfect nickname for a Jewish person on a college Catholic school football team, which was, he referred to me as Gefilta. Oh, Gefilta. But what, <laughs> what does it have to do with you, really? Nothing except that it's a, a very specific kosher food, Gefilta fish. So and that feels anti Semitic if he weren't Jewish. Oh, it was so, yeah. But it's, it still can be. He wasn't Jewish. It was, oh, he, it, yes, oh, it, was. it was definitely, yeah. It oh, okay. was, he just had a last name that sounded almost Jewish. Oh, it sounded but Jewish. But it was okay. anti Semitic, but it was kind of clever. It's not clever. <laughs> This it is Stockholm Syndrome. It was off the beaten path? No. No? Okay. No, Gary, Stockholm you've been syndrome. bullied with anti-Semitism. <laughs> it's time you come to grips with it, and that's the level of friendship we're at. We've come a long way in 10 minutes. Oh, that's really good. I appreciate that. By the way, that's a, that's a good joke premise. The guy calling you gefilto when you're a kid and you're realizing as a grown-up that it's it's anti-Semitism. Oh, yeah, yeah, In yeah. all these years, you'd covered for him. Yes. You thought, I thought it was clever. Yes. Like, it's not clever. <laughs> it's not clever. It's anti-Semitic and, and he's a bully. Oh, he was a bully, though. I yeah. think that's probably worth yeah. trying on stage because I feel like with your delivery and the way, and the, and, and the way that you word stories, Interesting. I think that that has a really good potential to be a joke. Which is, by the way, what these slow round questions are intended for is to, oh, to yield jokes gotcha. long term. Right, right. Is, is there a song that makes you cry? 
Oh my gosh, so many. And most recently, while on stage describing how I had just listened to this song, I started crying while on stage. Bette Midler's The Rose. Oh. Holy mackerel. What is it about the song? Just the, the, the idea, because I, I, I'm big into m- metaphors and the poetry of, of winter versus spring, summer, the way mm. that's used so frequently. So I have on my wrist this bracelet, which says in the depth of winter, I finally found that within me lay eternal, uh, an invincible summer. Mm. And it's Albert Camus. And there, there's something about beneath the, the hard frozen snow of winter, there was this seed of a rose that, that mm. bloomed and it was about love. And, mm. and it just, and it really hit me because that the one thing that you don't know when you're in the middle of a depression is that you may come out of it. And, yeah. and the belief that you'll come out of it is, can be very helpful. And, and that, that's what that, that, that hopefulness of that of that song really really hit me and really resonated with me. That's beautiful. Yeah. Wow. But I uh, I cry a lot with Eddie Vedder. That that song um, about the elderly woman at the at the she's a cashier and a and a man from her past comes in and she doesn't say anything to him. Um, and uh, I think the name of the song is so long intentionally, but it's like the uh, it, I think it's called "Elderly Woman Behind the Register" at a. It's it's off of verses, I, I oh, think. Wow. But if you, I didn't. I heard it a million times, but I never knew the lyrics. And when I looked at the lyrics, and also in an interview with Eddie Vedder, and he talked about the motivation and the origin of the the song that this woman was elderly, obviously, and this person who had been in her life a really long time ago was was coming back but didn't remember or didn't know or and it it was <laughs> songs about loneliness really get me man i get you yeah yeah loneliness i think is 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 the thing that so much of art great art is about yeah so i feel like it's people it's like we're all trying to express what our version of loneliness is and so if you can connect the way that song is connecting with you, then you're opening people up and it's just a gift. Yeah, I, I mean, just the fight against loneliness by people who feel that they're more comfortable alone, a lot of us. Yeah. We're not more comfortable al- alone, yeah. really. We're, we're social people but yes. there's there's all this anxiety and second guessing and insecurity and and a lot of times we're t- we're too afraid of the of the connection cuz yes. then you feel and that's that's uncomfortable too working it out is supported by squarespace I am so thrilled that Squarespace is a sponsor of this podcast. We use them all the time. It's just an amazing site for building websites, building your brand, growing your business online. One of the things Squarespace offers is uh, email campaigns. You can stand out in any inbox with Squarespace email campaigns, collect email subscribers, and convert them into loyal customers. Start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like site colors and your logo. Built-in analytics measure the impact of every send. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Working It Out is brought to you in part by Wondery's podcast, The Big Flop. On each episode of The Big Flop, comedians join Misha Brown to chronicle one of the biggest pop culture fails of all time and try to answer the age-old question, who thought this was a good idea? There are some great guests on the show. Sam Sanders, Ron Funches, Rachel Dratch, a whole bunch of other people I really like. Recently, The Big Flop looked at The Swan, a competition show between women who are hoping to transform their physical appearance. The problem? The women were isolated for weeks, berated, 
operated on and then ranked by a panel of judges. Unsurprisingly, it led to trauma for the contestants and terrible reviews. Other recent topics, Millie Vanilli, the XFL, and Woodstock 1999. Follow the big flop on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free by joining Wondery+. Plus. Do you have any new material that's sort of half premise, half anything that you're working on that you want to throw into the mix? Can I grab the oh, notebook? Oh, yeah, you can grab a notebook, yeah. All right, so... Can my, you hold that up so people can see it a little bit? Oh, or yeah, are you yeah. self-conscious? Where, where, where's I my tree? I camera right here, oh, okay. right here. I mean, that's nice. Oh, thank you. I like you. that I can just see the word IGNORED in all caps. Yeah, because I think there's a better word for this. So I, I talk about finding out when I was in in third grade, I think that Jesus was Jewish. <laughs> yes. And so I wanted to write this sentence where I said, what, what great news that Jesus, the focal point of Christmas, this holiday, but I should say Christmas, the focal point of Christmas was, a, was and the word, I don't think it's the right word, was as ignored by Santa as I was. <laughs> yeah. I love that. So you're oh, saying, you. so the fundamental punchline of the joke is that really to use the phrasing from broadcast news, the movie we were referencing earlier, they really, they're really burying the lead. Yeah. Oh my gosh. In, yeah. in the sense of, yeah, of, because of, of the, that, that Jesus was Jewish. And, 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 I, and, and at that devout. Yeah. He was a very serious he was a, he Jewish was a, person. A zealot, according to the book Zealot by Reza Aslan. But I said, Hebrew school never mentioned Jesus. They bring up Jonas Salk, Hank Greenberg, <laughs> Sandy Koufax, <laughs> Kirk Douglas, <laughs> and Houdini, but ignore the greatest magician of them all. Ah, that's yeah? a winner. All right. Then I will put Ign a star next to that Ignore the one. greatest magician yeah. of them all is so good. Oh, thank you. Because it acknowledges... It acknowledges Christianity as a significant thing, but then it also undercuts it at the end. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I wonder, this would be like an Ira Glass note, but it's like, how is that joke about you? Right. And like, are you ignored? Do you feel ignored? How do you feel about what's happening in the joke? That's really good. That's a good Ira Glass note. Yeah. yeah. That's what he always says. It's like plot and then how you feel about it and then plot yeah. and how you feel about it. But man, is that funny. I think that's funny as hell. Yeah. I mean, part of it is that I have this thing where Jews are so proud of anybody that does something, but then they're very, they're very um, particular about their pride in, in certain in certain areas. They, yeah. they, they don't take pride in, in Jesus and they, they don't take great pride in, in, at least within the world of Kerber enthusiasm, which I really identify with for some reason. Yeah. They don't really embrace Larry. They, as, yeah. as successful as he was, yeah. they, don't, <laughs> they don't care for, for you think Larry. Jewish people don't like Larry David? Within the world, the universe of, of Kerber enthusiasm. Okay, okay. The people... The Jews, Jews in general love, love Larry, Larry David, David. But, but in the people in the his show world can't stand him. And here's the thing: I kind of identify that with that in that I feel like a lot of my people who come to my shows yeah. are much kinder to me than my family is about my shows. Like my oh, family is certainly. just so famous. I don't know if you get this from family and even close friends. They just damn with faint praise. Oh yeah, <laughs> it's just all day. Yeah, and it's congratulations. Yep. Here's let's go over faint praise. <laughs> Here's what you don't say to people who just performed their goddamn heart out yeah. on the stage. You don't say congratulations. How did you feel about it? Oh my gosh, the Barry Katz school. Oh, how do you think it went? How do you think it went? Oh, any other ones? Can you think of? You looked great. You looked great. Yeah. The set is gorgeous. <laughs> how? Oh my do you, get do you get nervous? Do you get nervous How do you before the show? It all? How do you remember all the words? Yeah. Don't say these things. No. Don't say these things to a performer after they've just performed their soul to you. Just don't. Yeah. You know what? Lie. I don't care about your integrity. You just saw totally. someone perform. Totally. Don't, don't, you know, your word is impeccable. Sure, maybe tomorrow it is. 
but not when you just saw the person perform. Yeah. You go, I loved it. We loved it. Here's my favorite part. You pick one sentence. Towards the end of my sets, I usually say, listen, I don't know what your threshold is for a standing ovation, <laughs> but I know there are some people who have standing ovation integrity and yes. you have to cry at yeah. some point, but I gave you a much longer show than you paid for. That's so funny. And, and you have to stand up to leave anyhow. But I wanted to run one last thing because yeah, it was on the on the idea of of a husband and wife, and I I, I talk about um, the expression. It was a different time. Yes, and, and, yes. And I say during all these so called different times, there were people doing the right thing. That's right. And during World War II, there were German and Polish people hiding Jews. And but I then I I wanted to add this thing where I say. But there are also men not hiding Jews and blaming it on their wives. Mm. I'd love to hide you. My wife oh just my just she brought up the dairy restrictions. Oh my god, that's and so funny. I just and and I I is it in poor taste? It, I don't think it's in poor taste. I would find it in poor taste if it was a non-Jewish person, but also I feel like as a Jewish person, where's the how, I think you're onto something massive though, that, that it was a different time thing. Is that in the special that you're developing right now? Like your yeah. next comedy special? Yeah, it's about what how are, my, my father was a, a progressive member of the quote unquote greatest generation. Yeah. Whereas most of them were, were not. And people will say, well, he, he was a very racist man, but he served in World War II and it was a different time. And yeah. I always say, uh, this time it, was it before the? Oh, it must have been before the the famous schism between right and wrong, when <laughs> they funny. when they split over creative differences, <laughs> and and so. But that was a very my my father wasn't a he wasn't a perfect parent, but yeah. he was a good person who was was progressive in terms of he, he never said anything homophobic or racist or sexist misogynistic yeah. he, he was very progressive in his in his politics and his social views and i and i just that that's it's rare for for white men of that of that era not rare but but uncommon. No, I think that that I think that'll joke will work. It helped me to see the context of it, the yeah. ramp into it, right? Because I think that the the energy of that premise will roll into the, you know, I think the blaming their wives becomes like an like if this, what else yeah. did you know like, <laughs> right. and then yeah. I think it might be yeah. beneficial to do an if this, what else for like four oh, yeah, yeah, four yeah, other yeah. things, yes, like who else. Who else was blamed? Who else did a thing that was on the line? Uh, uh, but but ultimately, wait, if they blame their wife, yeah. But ultimately, like, wasn't helpful. Like, other examples of people who weren't helpful. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's great, though. Thank you. So the final thing we do on the show is uh, working it out for a cause. And is there an is there an organization you contribute to that we will contribute to? I contribute monthly to the Helen Keller Foundation, but it's part of this thing that I discovered from Peter Singer's book, "Doing the Most Good." Have you ever read that? It's it's sort of a a, a hundred pages on effective altruism. Okay. And, and Sammy Koppelman put me on to. Oh, it. that's great. Yeah, and and so there's a there's a website called GiveWell.org, and it's the most intense and analytically driven idea of what is doing the most good, it, yeah. it seems, in terms of your money saving the most lives yeah. is how they, they've figured it out. So with they said that with $5,000 contribution, you're saving one life yeah. by contributing to either this group that, that puts up nets, uh, malaria yes, nets in, yes. in Africa and, and in the case of the Helen Keller Foundation, I think they give vitamin A to kids so that they don't go blind or die. Wow. So, um, so I, I contribute every month to the Helen Keller Foundation. But we could also do GiveWell.org at the general fund where they where they put it to the best use. Yeah. Why don't we do GiveWell.org? Yeah. Because because it gives I, people a lot it, of choices. Uh, there. People can learn about yeah. the Helen Keller Foundation and, and all the other ones. Yes. No, I yeah. think it's beautiful, and <laughs> and it's. Uh, and I think you're beautiful, <laughs> think and I'm beautiful. and I'm glad that we had this talk because I think it's going to augment. 
uh, a stronger friendship. I'm gonna text you tomorrow. Uh, yeah, and do a follow up. Um, I think we can take. I, can, I think we can take our friendship to the next level, and also even our joke collaborations because I have a lot more jokes here that we didn't even get to, and so do you. And I think we could be regularly bouncing yes. jokes off one another. I would love that. Working it out, cause it's not done. Working it out, cause there's no one. That's going to do it for another episode of Working It Out. I love that Gary Gullman. You can get his book, Misfit, at your local bookstore. I could not recommend it more highly. You can follow Gary on Instagram, at Gary Gullman. You can watch a full video of this on my YouTube channel. Check it out. Subscribe to it. Go to burbigs.com to sign in for my mailing list to be the first to know about those upcoming shows we're adding literally in days from now. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Peter Salamone and Joseph Berbiglia, associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish, assistant producer Gary Simons, sound mix by Ben Cruz, supervising engineer Kate Belinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz, Josh Upfall, David Raphael, and Nina Quick, my consigliere's Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Antonoff and Bleachers for their music. They have a new single out, so good. Special thanks to my wife, the poet, J-Hope Stein. You can follow her on Instagram, at J-Hope Stein. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. And thanks most of all to you who are listening. If you enjoy the show, rate it on Apple Podcasts. It, it really helps. Tell your friends. Tell your enemies. Tell your tell your bullies. We talked to Gary and I talked about bullies a lot today. You know what you should do? Look up your old high school bullies. Give them a call. <laughs> make peace. Hey, I know we haven't talked in 20 years, and last time we spoke, uh, your fist was in my face, but I wanted to let you know about this podcast you might enjoy. <laughs> maybe they, maybe if they'd had the Working It Out podcast back then, I wouldn't have bullied you. Maybe they would have had a better understanding of themselves and others. Thanks a lot, everybody. We're working it out. We'll see you next time.